Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. All my life I've been searching for something, something never comes, never leads to nothing, nothing satisfies, but I'm getting Close, closer to the prize at the end of the rope. All night long, a dream of the day. When it comes around and it's taken away, leaves me with the feeling that I feel the most. Feel it come to life when I see your ghost. Nice one, Chris. Thank you, thank you, thank no you. Problem. Dude, I've been using this for seven years, done hundreds of interviews all over the world, and I just thought that moment was going to be the moment it broke <laughs> on me then. Thankfully, it was just the power cable that's oh, gone, we go. so we're battery yeah. operated. Cheers, dude. Mm. Great, great to see you again. We met very briefly last night, yeah. but yeah, really nice Cheers. to sit down with yeah. you. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. One of the early guests on this show was uh, Michael Monroe. Oh. And he was talking about you and about your history because he was saying he obviously played a bunch of shows with Foo Fighters, I guess in Finland. Yeah. Um, but he was like, my relationship with Chris goes back to like the early days when he used to come to our shows as just oh, like yeah. a fan of the music. Oh, dude, I have a photo of, I remember... Because just to put it in the timeline, like I I got turned on to Hanoi Rocks sort of right at the end because that was when they started to to get known in America. Mm-hmm. So Two Steps from the Move came out. Um, uh, my brother brought that record home, and I just became obsessed with them. And it was like right about the time that Razzle died, and you know then they didn't really last that much longer. So I never got a chance to see him. And and you know and in those days you know it's pre-internet so you didn't really know anything about any of these somewhat underground bands that that you loved you know and then they all kind of splintered into these other groups you know and there was the Cherry Bombs and um and then it took a minute but Mike Monroe uh, Michael Monroe um I think it was around the time that he put out that very first solo record that Not Faking It yeah um that uh was that, was, was that the one or no no Nights Are So Long. Whatever the first one was that was like kind of like indie release before the the not faking it one, and he I remember he came through L.A. and he played at um can't even remember the name of the club now, but it was like twenty one and over, so we couldn't get in. We're teenagers, but we were just like desperate 
to be there. So we just went to the show and just stood outside. You know, you couldn't hear anything. And we just waited. <laughs> just waited and waited. A glimpse. Yeah. yeah. And we did. Yeah. And we, it's funny because I, I have a photograph from that night of me and, and my friends. So we'd just been waiting there. Um, and, and got a picture with him when he left the club. And I'll never forget my girlfriend like stuck her thumb over it. Oh man! Like so, it's like I remember us those and days. Michael Monroe with the thumb in there. <laughs> I like, ruined oh, so no. many photos like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, you're like, oh man. Yeah. And it's cool because, like, you know, I think I spoke to your brother Scott about this. Your household, by all accounts, was just music centric, yeah. and your oldest brother Mike, I gathered, was kind of the guy that led the way with introducing bands to you guys. Yep. But then as you grew older, you'd both find your own little pockets of the rock yeah. rainbow. Yeah. And what he said was unique about your family is you all liked each other's stuff. So it wasn't like one brother was like down on his brother's collection because he had his own right. thing. It was like yeah, you yeah. all interchanged. And so yeah. there's like classic rock. He did say you were the glam guy oh, and brought yeah. that in. Yeah. And obviously, is Mike still a guitar player? Does he teach oh, yeah, guitar? He's a guitar teacher. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's, he's probably the best out of any of us because he probably plays more than any of us because he plays all day long, you know, teaching kids. Yeah, no, he's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it was, you know, it sort of starts with, I mean, I guess really it starts with my dad, my dad bought my, but my brother Mike a turntable and some records and, and it just went from there, you know, so by the time I came along, you know, my brothers already had pretty good record collections that just got better and better over the years and so, yeah, being a little kid, I was just like, it was all the Stones and Zeppelin and Aerosmith and, you know, all the, all the stuff you would expect the best yeah. i mean i didn't have an older sibling so i didn't really get into music in a big way till i was like 14 mm. um and then i found my own stuff but i think older siblings is the key yeah to oh, getting yeah. into it early on and being introduced to the hip stuff like well, it's funny too like so much of like and it's still like you know, my musical opinions are so shaped by that like when you're a little kid you just you just assume that your brothers are right you know, like yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. they thought was the best stuff. Well, then, God damn it, that was the best stuff. And I'll argue it to the death. You know what I mean? Like, it's like that just just sticks with you. you know? Do you know what, though? All of those records that you mentioned, that was and remains the best stuff. Well, know, yeah, to me, sure. I, I think yeah. it's just so yeah. timeless, that period. It was so prolific. And it was like, you know, now there's still great stuff. But I think it's they're fewer and far between. And it's special when they come. But back then, it was almost like every week. There's like a landmark, well, era-defining record coming out one after the other. It's just like... It's hard to say because music's, you know, the whole way that it comes out there is so different. I look at how my kids listen to music. It's so different than how I listen to music, you know, because they have access to, like, everything that was ever recorded. Mm -hmm. So the sort of the way that that, I feel like, impacts people nowadays, like people coming up now, is that they don't have time for any of it. Like, my kids don't listen to a whole song probably ever. You know, they get, like two-thirds of the way through and then Skip. they go to the next one whereas like well you know when i was growing up you bought like one record with your save your lunch money up and get a record and then you know you don't get another record for a couple of months or something mm -hmm. so you're gonna wear that one out and you're gonna listen to it over and over and you know just put it on at the beginning and let it play and flip it over and let it play and flip it over again you know what i mean so i, I think like um i don't know you know i don't know I don't know that there's any good, bad or better or worse or any of that. I think like my kids will probably grow up, you know, when they're my age, they'll listen to the music that they're listening to right now and feel exactly the same way about it as I do about, you know, whatever, you know, Judas Priest records from 1981 or something, you know? Hell yeah. yeah. How, how, um, how important was Santa Barbara at that time to kind of shaping your early musical identity as well? Cause I had Marco from sugar cult on the yeah. show 
and he's like a historian of that oh, yeah. that town and yeah, the, sure. the musical history there. But he was talking a lot about like you know RKL, and mm. it seemed like there was a pretty thriving underground punk rock scene. Well, there's just a lot time. of music around. Period. You know, I mean, like, the, and I think that goes back. You know, from way before we were all sort of aware of what was going on. You know, there was. We had, um, you know, Santa Barbara's a town that's like, it's just far enough away from L.A. that some of the, not necessarily the biggest bands, you know, would, would but like touring, like big, but not the hugest bands would, would play Santa Barbara, you know, going way back. Like, you know, Bob Marley played the County Bowl a bunch of times. And even when we were growing up, I think my brother's first show was Jeff Beck at the Bowl. And, you know, we had some some good venues like the Arlington. So you get like all this these touring acts. And then there was a sort of a homespun music scene and like when i first started playing in bands you know there was like me and my friends and and all the high school age kids that were playing in bands and playing keg parties and there was a whole that whole like world Mm -hmm. and then there was this like club scene in in santa barbara with clubs like you know club iguana and oscars and, and some of these places where like the older musicians around town were playing we weren't really a part of that but you were aware of that you know and it was around and um yeah it was just it was really like there was just a lot of music of kind of all stripes you know and i think a, a huge factor was we have a college there you know we got a big school ucsb is a big college um so there's which, a pool of people to draw from to get to the shows right yeah well so but also there's like all these students coming in every year bringing their crazy record collections from all over the place and it was like you know and, and this is the 80s so it's like you got the whole college rock weirdo music mm-hmm. happening you know so that trade in all of that yeah you know on. so there was there was that whole influence as well and there were a bunch of record stores out there and like you know you'd go out there and play at keg parties or play the red barn or you know there's some clubs and stuff so there's just like there was a lot of music around like i grew up thinking that my hometown was like this little podunk outpost in the middle of nowhere that was so far removed from everything great and it took me a while to figure out like actually it was fucking great right where we were you know and and so when what age are you when you pick up and move to go work at fat and is that with Joey? Oh, Do you go out there together? Yeah, that was uh, that was a few years down the road. So I I moved out of Santa Barbara when I was eighteen um, to L.A. Was yeah, it? And I moved yeah. down to L.A. with with my friends and my bandmate Luke, and uh, and then Marco moved down a little while later. And we were all playing in a band together. Lost kittens, right? Lost kittens. Yeah, with a so, Z. With a Z. Got to have a <laughs> Z in yeah. there, man. Yeah, he's all about yeah. the Zs and, yeah. and the Xs, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that was like the beginning of 1990. And then I moved up to, and I lived in LA for, for a few years and, and, um, and you know, played in a bunch of bands and played around town and tried to like make it and do that whole thing. But it was interesting, like right when we moved to LA was really, it was like the LA music world that we had grown up like going to was totally dead right it had just completely died it's sort of in the wake of guns and roses and all that stuff it just it just wasn't there anymore and like we, I, we didn't really i don't think completely realize that until we got down there and it was just like, and you're going there assumedly chasing precisely that like yes. you want exactly that but you got to remember this is like music is evolving pretty quickly in that moment mm-hmm. and like the alt rock thing is bubbling up and so there's that whole thing sort of beginning to happen um and so like all the sort of the old clubs you know the scene that we had grown up going to was totally over by then and things were changing fast so i lived in la for till 95 and then joey was planning on moving up to san francisco and um and so i just 
we were planning on, I just went with him basically, you know what I mean? We had this kind of like loose idea that we were going to put a band together up there, um, which never really happened. I mean, the gimme gimme's happened, but that, that wasn't the idea, you know? Are you talking about clown fight? Happened. Um, no, we, no. I, we never even had a name. I don't even, uh, I don't even think it got that far. It was just something, you know, friends talking you know yeah yeah drunken nights you know okay we're gonna move up there we're gonna do this thing but we never did but we did move up there together and then he helped me get a job at fat so we're like wagon already on oh yeah fat. yeah like yeah. wagon was already going they were already a couple records deep at that right point. right yeah um yeah maybe even about to make the third record i think hoss yeah i think so san francisco what scene is happening there in the mid '90s, well, that's where Fat Records was. Was it mainly was just for Fat that you go there? It was mainly for that. I mean, San Francisco is just—it's just such a great city, you yeah. know. And there was—it was so different than what you know. I grew up in Santa Barbara and then lived in LA, and LA is like, you know, it's—it's it's not even really—it's not a city really. It's just a bunch of suburbs kind of glued together. So San Francisco was the first time I ever lived in like a proper city, you know. Where you could like walk around town, you you just park your car, and I've know, still never been. I've it. always wanted yeah. to go. Oh, it was great. It was great at that time too. I mean, it was you know I was twenty three or something when I moved up there, and you know, are you are you drinking and partying at this oh, point? Yeah, I know you said you don't sure. anymore, but are you, yeah, no, absolutely. you're going at it back then, and like you know, no real responsibilities whatsoever in life, and you know, no mortgage, no kids, no you know, no nothing. So it was a it was a fun time, and I, I worked at Fat for just a few weeks, and then and then No Use for Name came in and one day and said, you know, our guitar player just quit. We need, we're leaving on tour on Monday. We need a guitar player, you know, and um and so I wound up getting the gig, and and uh, and it was just kind of off to the races. But that was like a yeah, that was I lived up there for you know five and a half years or so, and it was a really fun period of life. Well, that whole fat scene for me was absolutely the soundtrack to my upbringing like mm. it was just on constantly all of those bands and uh it was just again a really magical and, and prolific time where every record that came out seemed to be like awesome like it was just one after the other after the other and and like tony was such a great songwriter oh yeah um it must have been i mean was that a kind of an early crash course in, in songwriting w with him because i guess you're obviously writing music before then but I mean, I wasn't but did it kind really, of go up a level with that? Or? I wasn't really writing much you before that. I mean, I always noodle around and have some little ideas and never really, like, um, work them out, you know what I mean? And I was, I was pretty insecure about it, too, you know? It was really being in no use and kind of towards the end of being in no use. that, that um, And it was actually Matt Riddle, bass player, that I remember when we were making the second record that I made. He was like, Cause, man, you should write songs. You know, you, you've always got these like little ideas, man. Why don't you why aren't you writing songs? And um and I I I remember when he said that and I went out and I bought a four track and I just started recording like whatever dumb little idea I had and I just kinda stumbled into it, you know, and figured out like, all right, songwriting is as much about just doing it mm -hmm. as anything else, you know, just having the sort of the discipline to see it through and 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 put it out there, you know. And I wrote like, some fucking horrible songs, that's for sure. But uh but you gotta kinda, you know, got to figure it out you got to start somewhere it's like that thousand hour thing isn't it whether it's playing whatever it is you know whether you're an athlete whether you're a creative it's just doing the time getting yeah. it out of you starting obviously as we all do shit yeah and then improving in the process of doing yeah and the next thing you know you're like oh i'm actually all right now it's a funny thing with songwriting too i think because like you'll you'll sort of hit on something that you like you know and then you and then you'll write a bunch of 
shit again. Uh-huh. You know, yeah, yeah. Got this yeah, it's out. not like you're yeah. off to the races once <laughs> right. you've written one good song, is it? Right. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you're like you think you are for a second, <laughs> and you're like, no, not quite there. <laughs> yeah, always more work to do, I guess. And what about uh, Joe Sibbs, a pal of mine? I love that dude. Oh, right Just on. great, great energy to be yeah. around. Uh, what about 22 Jacks? When is that happening? Is this whilst No Use for a Name? Is this? Yeah. So I had moved up to San Francisco. I joined No Use. I, I, it was very similar to when I joined Foo Fighters in that um, No Use had just put a record out. And then we did, uh, we toured. We're like, our touring in those days was pretty sporadic. It's funny to look back on now because we were just sort of aimlessly, you know, you think of everything nowadays as very planned and you have mm-hmm. to have like a, you know, a strategy and you have to think about it, you know, a year in advance and all stuff. And we just were like, it was anything but that, you know, we would go on tour and then just go on tour six months later. And like, you know what I mean? It was just like pretty slapdash. But um, were all of those bands like that, or was that just something that was how that band worked? We might've been a little more like that than others. I think, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um, so there was a period there where we had sort of toured as much as we were going to tour for Leche Can Carne. And uh, we are just kind of like not doing much and weren't really working on a new record or anything yet. So that was around the time Joe put 22 Jacks together. and that and, With Steve Soto as well, yeah, right? Yeah, with Steve Soto and Sandy. Um, and I didn't play, I wrote a song with Joe on that first 22 Jacks record, but I didn't play on it. Um I might have played like one guitar track on it or something. I don't even remember, but but I didn't play on it. And then I just he started touring it, and I just went out with him and and uh, and toured for I don't know for a while. I guess probably four or five months or something. What a fun guy to be on the road with. Oh, I know. Well, it's funny because it, just to back up a little bit, before I moved to San Francisco, this, uh, I actually the very last thing I did still living in L.A. was I went on tour with Wax. Right, because cool. Joe yeah, yeah. was like one of my best friends, and we were just like in each other's pockets, you know, back then. And um, was he a Santa Barbara boy? What? No, he's he was he's LA. From, he's from up in Santa Cruz, right? Um, but um, but when he moved to LA, you know, we just you know became fast friends, and 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 we used to just hang out all the time, you know. And so, and I had never been on the road, and, and Wax was already like making records and touring and stuff, and so they had gone through this period where they. Um, had signed to Interscope and they had like so their song was banging on the radio on K Rock and everything and they were going they were about to go out with um the tour was Boston's headlining face to face in the middle before my brother was in it. Um so Matt was still in there and then Wax was opening and um and I went out as their roadie. And it was that Love was the it. first time I ever went on tour, man. And I was just like I just want more of this. I want to do this, but I want to be on stage, you know? Scott said a similar thing. He said his first time seeing No Use was guitar teching for you side of stage. Oh, right And on. he was just like, fuck, my brother's doing it. I, I want to be doing it too. Yeah. Like, well, that was a funny little period there because, you know, after that wax tour, that was when I moved to San Francisco, joined No Use. Somewhere in all that, um, Matt left face-to-face about you know almost a year into me being in in no use uh our bass player left and then we got matt and then face to face got my brother right so it was this Love weird it. little switch over you know it was like very incestuous 
And what about Jackson United? Because my friend told me today, he was like, you've got to find out how I can get that music. Because he, yeah. he was going on about a track all the way. Oh, right and he's on. like, it's one of his favorite tunes of that time. And he's just like, you've got to ask Chris where I can get that. Is it available anywhere? I don't think it is. I know is. it's on YouTube. but yeah, like, I'm sure it's on YouTube. I actually have there's a, video a for it, isn't there? fucking stack of those CDs. Because in those days, you know, you printed, I was like, I self-released uh, the first EP version of that. And I have a grip of them um i mate, you gotta post one over i well you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna put them on 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 my in my merch store to try to get rid of them um, amazing which is funny because i couldn't even sell them back when i put that record out so we'll see if i can sell now but if i can sell through all those cds at some point i'm gonna put it up um in like the streaming services i just haven't gotten around to it because it's just that kind of a pain in the ass yeah you know and is that when your songwriting begins to like evolve is that when you're really writing music for the first yeah. time with consi- you so know, consistency that, yeah that came about after and that's you scott and pete right yes yeah the the initial the first record yeah um that came about not too long after i joined foo fighters i moved out to new york and i remember working on some of those songs with my friend johnny t out there just like making noise um in his rehearsal room and yeah that was about that time that i started really like sitting down and writing songs and working it out and then i and then i got uh scott and pete to come record that record with me and yeah that was that it's awesome music man it really is and like the viva death stuff scott introduced me to when we were on tour as well Oh, and right it's, I just love with guys like you, you know, you're in the bands that people know you for, but then you dig a bit deeper and there's like so many other projects and, and, and songs and sure. just yeah. a wealth of stuff there. Yeah. Well, I guess when you start that young and it's just in you, you just got so many ideas all the time, right? And you just want to keep writing and keep playing. I just feel like I'm so lucky, you know, that I get to be a musician full time. It's really the only thing I ever wanted to do. Um, so especially the older I get, the more I appreciate that. I just want to do it in some way pretty much every day, you know, whether that's like doing a solo thing or, you know, obviously being in Foo Fighters is like, you know, we're, we're working a lot and, and, and busy all the time. But um, even when that's not happening, you know, if it's just like sitting in my studio making some noise or jamming with my friends or, you know, playing in the fucking parent band at school, whatever it is, I just feel like, you know, I'm lucky I get to do this. Like I got to do. You play in the parent band. I did. Yeah, (laughs) you you get kicked out once you once your kids are out of the elementary school. My kids are all in the upper school now, so I'm no longer in parent band. But I did it for years. So the parent band gets graduation too. It's like it's time to move on now. The parent band in my kids' school is solid. They got some good some good players. Yeah. Oh yeah. Anyone I'd know. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I can't out anybody though. It's like yeah. AA, you've got to keep it. Exactly. Keep it I mean, it's LA. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. No, no shortage. Well, before we talk about foods, before we talk about your solo stuff, I hope you don't mind me going in on gimmies because I just fucking love that project so much. I know you're no longer in the band, but those first four records, just like Have a Ball, Are a Drag, Blowing in the Wind, Take a Break, Bang, 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 Bang. Staples for me growing up. Such amazing, uh, right amazing reworkings of obviously, you know, classic songs. How much fun did you guys have in those early years, especially on the live side of things, just playing shows and going out? And oh man, it was it just an it absolute was, blast all the yeah, time? It really was, you know. And and the um, on the live side, you know, we played so infrequently when we first started because you know the original version or the original sort of idea was not to be like out touring and stuff, and it was never even to put records out. We we're just going to put seven inches out. And play shows and have fun. Yeah, and the shows were like little club shows at home in San Francisco where we lived, and it was just a party with our friends, 
you know? So it was like, you know, it was like the same crew that you'd be hanging with anyway on a Saturday night. And then we're just, you know, wearing Hawaiian shirts and making a racket. I remember like uh, when it came to the live stuff too, I remember Fatty, his, the one thing he was like, we can be as sloppy as, you know, can be, but let's just make sure we're in tune. That was the one thing. Just be in tune. You can play it. You can be drunk. You can be fucked up. You can play the wrong chords. Whatever. Just be in tune. And how good Spike is a front man? You know, I got to be honest, dude. I missed like them becoming a, a touring act. I just wasn't around for it. Yeah. Right. I oh, see. So yeah. You did the records, but then yeah. by the time they're on the road, you're in Foos and yeah. Scott's, Scott's taken over. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I did a little bit of like the Warp Tour and one of those earlier, you know, ones, but I wasn't really a part of the, of right, the, right. Of the live thing much. Because you got the call, or rather, you auditioned and and got the gig. Sure, yeah. How was that audition? I mean, it was pretty straightforward, was, or was it nerve wracking? Or I was nerve wracking, man. Yeah, for sure. You know, it's it's always nerve wracking when you just want something so bad. You know, um, yeah. I don't even know how to describe it. Yeah, it was it was uh, it was it was totally joyful and super nerve wracking at the same time. Am I right in thinking as well at that point in your life you were kind of at a crossroads as you're saying you know no use weren't touring a lot you obviously weren't killing it in the sense of a financial security mm. you know theme so like and obviously you know as all musicians know it can be a re- until you get that real dependable you know firm gig that you know you're going to be all right for a bit yeah it's a full-time hustle isn't it yeah, for sure. I mean, it's an interesting thing because at that time, and that was 99, the summer of 99, I mean, really almost like that year was kind of the first time I was ever like breathing a little easy financially. You know, we we had made a, a couple of Gimme Gimme's records by then that had done well. Yeah. And we'd made a couple of um, of No Use records. You know, we had just made a new No Use record that, that hadn't come out yet when I wound up auditioning for Foos. So all of a sudden... Um, you know, I wasn't having to go get a job delivering pizzas or making coffee or whatever between tours, you know? Which you had been doing for many years. Yeah, yeah. sure. You know, it was like sort of like, you know, you, when I was in no use, you know, you'd come home from tour and you'd have a little money in your pocket and then, um, and then, you know, a month or two later, you'd just go get a job mm-hmm. until, until the next one, you know? So, uh, which was fine. And it was, it was, it was, uh, it was what it was, you know, and it was the nineties and it was relatively, you know, I don't want to say it was easy, but it was easier, I think, than it is now, you know, to sort of live that life and get by. It was um, cheaper to live, wasn't it? Yeah. And I think, you know, it was easier to go get a shitty job. And and I knew it was never, you know, I I never had a problem with uh, those kind of jobs because cause it wasn't, I never felt like this is where I'm going to wind up. You know, this is, this is the, this is the end end goal you know yeah same but with I, me i work on my friend's bar to this day i do a couple of shifts a week just between dj gigs tours you know yeah. just to keep the engines running yeah it's fun if you, as you say if you know you're not stuck there yeah then you can tap in and out and yeah you know just appreciate a bit of extra income and yeah you know i mean and, and i was starting to have those ideas of like those thoughts in my head of like well what comes next you know it was um, age a factor then as well? Are you kind of yeah, reaching about, that point like, in life where family and things are on the horizon? And... I mean, family wasn't on the horizon yet, but I was 28. Like, I wasn't a kid anymore. And you could see the writing on the wall that, like, the scene that we were a part of was 
diminishing for sure. You know, it's just like these things always do. The next thing comes around and the next thing had come around, you know. Which is what, like new metal and stuff like that was it at that point? Well, there was all that stuff happening, but I just mean in the in the world of punk rock, it was things were shifting away from the sort Some of epitaph, 41 and uh, Fat Records thing to more of like Get Up Kids and, um, you know, and Saves the Day and bands like that. And the Ataris were having a moment, you know, like there's, it's just the natural evolution of things. There's uh, there's bands that there's a scene that does well for a minute, and then that's gonna you know it just changes. You know, yeah. the next thing comes along and takes over, and and it was kind of in that moment. You know, you could see that that was that was happening. Um, do you have as a quick side tangent? Do you have conversations like that in a band like the Foo Fighters, like where you're taking note of what's going on in a larger sense, or does a band like the Foo's just do what the Foo's does and focus on that, and that's it? I think, you know, obviously you're always sort of aware of, you know, what's happening musically in the world, you know. Um, but as far as a consideration for what we do, I think that's probably the Foo Fighters' greatest strength all these, all these years is that it's never been a band that um, that follows trends in that sense. Yep. You know what I mean? Which means we're never pigeonholed into any one thing or another, I, I don't think, you know. Um, but it, that is an interesting thing because you know when you if you're lucky enough to to get to do this for a while, you know you every few years when you're out there doing like the festival circuit, you know it's a whole new crop of the latest thing, mm-hmm. you know, and that's always fun. Yeah, um, yeah, we've sort of like it is funny when I joined the band, like it was like new metal and all that sort of like. I don't know what you call it, third generation grunge alt rock kind of stuff. You know, we're talking the late nineties, early two thousands, that whole thing was happening. And we were always kind of like oddballs on festival lineups, you know, I um, guess you had sort of peers in tenacious D and Queens, although all very different musically, they were kind of the three solid rock bands within that, you know, sea of, of the more like subgenre stuff that was big. It did seem like Queens of songs for the deaf and, you know, obviously, one by one, the album you were on. I remember fucking all my life being on every rock DJ's club night playlist. Like that was such a monster tune. Whenever mm. you go out on a Friday, or Saturday, just dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah. and you know that, and no one knows were kind of like these two mm. heavy, hard hitting rock songs. But then, yeah, everything else was like you know, break stuff and Blink One Eighty Two, and yeah, you know, it was just like we just didn't quite fit uh, neatly into any of it, but kind of worked with all of it. You know, like it didn't seem unusual to be on the bill with a bunch of bands that we didn't sound really a whole lot like, but it just, you know, it just all kind of worked. And then, you know, the next thing came along and it was whatever it was, the, you know, the, the strokes and the hives and that whole scene was fucking great, which was like, you know, um, the hives are still one of my favorite live bands best. in the world. And he's so Pele is just like, yeah, a modern day Mick Jagger, isn't he? An unstoppable uh, yeah. force. Totally. And now you never, you never get bored at a hive show. That's for sure. Um, but yeah, you know, you just, you, you get to see all the, the scenes shift over and over again, you know, and we're still just kind of doing what we do. Well, you do it very well. It has to be said. (laughs) Gonna make me blush. Is it a huge step up when you go out on tour with, with the foos, um, compared to what you're used to up until that point? Um, the album was done, right? And you just go out and basically tour for a year or however long it is nonstop. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, there was some. I guess you have to kind of just you find out what you're made of in those situations, right? It's like I'm in this now. I've got to just get into it. And yeah, it was it was no wild time on a lot of levels. You know, like I I didn't know 
the dudes in the band or the crew or anybody. So I'm just kind of getting to know everybody just by being there and doing it. And in those days, things were, were pretty different. You know, it was at a smaller level, but still a much bigger level than like what I'd been used to. I never had been in a band where I wasn't involved in carrying my amp in. You know what I mean? Just sharing like hotel that. rooms. Like right, yeah, yeah, all yeah, that yeah. stuff, you know, so. Not um, that me and Chris are sharing this hotel room, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. He's very much yeah, on his but, own tonight. But Ian and Sam <laughs> yeah, are. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, yeah, so, I mean, that was all different. And, and it was, um, but it was wild and fun, man. Just like, because the, the set list would be different every night. They had just made that new record, um, uh, Nothing Left to Lose. And like, we were playing a lot of those songs. And in those days, um, like that record and a lot of the stuff on the early records had like a bunch of like weird tunings and stuff. And so it was rapping. Especially that first that. album. Yeah, yeah. Well, and same with nothing left to lose. There's some, there's some trippy stuff on that record too. So, um, yeah, getting used to playing in a very different dynamic, you know, I would say like that punk rock world, like it, it's so revved up that it was hard to like, relax <laughs> after mm-hmm. after doing that for a few years it's like i i remember when i joined Foo fighters i just didn't even almost know what to do with myself on stage because it wasn't that like you know just everything all at once you know 100 miles an hour i mean we, we have moments of that but like not not like that you know um, well there's actual peaks and troughs and, right yeah and dynamics yeah. and stuff you know so yeah it was, it it's took, not just one lane yeah it took took a while to get used to what's it like playing with with dave and pat and that kind of triple guitar attack um just as as a player and a performer and you know the alchemy that goes on on stage when you're with those dudes it must be a very special yeah you know i mean it's we're we make a big sound for sure there's there's a lot of guitars up on that stage you know um as well as everything else so it's uh takes some wrangling i think um it's just something we do more than we think about Mm -hmm. these days um but yeah it's uh it's loud <laughs> was Dave when you join the kind of master of ceremonies that he is now already or have you really seen that and I guess does it continue to evolve over time because there's very few people who there's great front men right but the way he makes everybody in the massive spaces that you play feel like you know you're just watching a guy down the pub like he creates intimacy in vast spaces which is a very unique skill yeah, I mean, I think that evolved a lot over time. I think, like, when I first joined the band, I mean, he was a great, you know, front man already, but um, but it was once we got into, there were, like, some, like, moments, you know, where you sort of almost, like, saw that that growth happen. And when we went out and supported the Chili Peppers, um, which we did for a few months on that, that first tour cycle that I did, that was definitely, you know, playing in, like, big arenas every night, um, and uh and the show kind of we kind of stepped the show up and like i remember like we were wearing like you know color coordinated outfits and stuff you know um but yeah i think uh things grew then things definitely grew that first arena tour we did over here for one by one that was like a moment you know um it's funny to look back on because i remember at the time like there were even like sort of like internal discussions of like oh we shouldn't be playing in arena and just some like goofy indie holdover really <laughs> you know, mentality yeah, so yeah. Like, oh this is lame kind of thing and well, then I guess we went was... and did it and we're like this is the fucking greatest thing let's do more of this you there know was more I mean? pressure back then wasn't there for bands to quote unquote keep it real 
right? I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know. It's just some or is it just 90s stuff you put on yourself? or whatever, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, but I mean, oh, the amazing thing about bands like Foo Fighters is, and I think Chili's to almost the same extent, not quite, but you've transcended and you've become culturally ubiquitous and fully mainstream, but you've retained your identity and integrity mm. and you, you haven't adapted your sound to bring in the fans they've come to you mm. and i think that's a cool thing that you guys have which quite few bands that get to that level retain well thank you that's very nice there's an I mean, authenticity it's, there it's always been really good over here you know um things always kind of happen first for us over here you know i guess going back to even the start of the band right when you debuted at a reading festival yeah right? yeah i mean before i was ever in the band yeah it's yeah. just always been great here you know for whatever reason the uk has always been this home away from home for us um do you remember all the our first, first reading year. headline when you were yeah. in the band yeah oh yeah totally because you, know, you remember when, when i joined the band we were at, we were still playing in the daytime at those festivals yep. you know what i mean yep. and we just kept working up you know um yeah no i mean that's there's moments like that moments like the first time um or you know getting to play at hyde park and wembley and Glastonbury, all these crazy things. I mean, all that stuff, you know, the first arena tour we ever did was here. I think the first time we ever headlined any kind of stadium was over. You know, it's just like, this has been like the jump off point um, in a, for a lot of what we've done over the years. Because we're the best. <laughs> the best bands. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, fuck. I think so many American bands throughout history have, have you know, even back to like Jimi Hendrix, have, you know, been appreciated and, and celebrated over here first and then, it's almost like they go home as discovered stars from Europe, and then the American audience, you know, finally comes around. They go, "Oh yeah, these guys are actually great." Of course, they're great. Yeah, I think part. Of, you know, well, yeah, it's just a different. There's a, a the fans are just have a loyalty over here that's I think different than anywhere else in the world. And then you know, cracking cracking the American market or whatever. It's, it's America's fucking gigantic. It's hard. You know what I mean? It's like just massive landmass it could be like fucking 10 countries or 20 countries or whatever so it's it's uh uh it's great over there too you know of course but it it took a little longer to to get there yeah well i mean somebody not to go on a like too much of a tangent but somebody once said to me that the similarities between america and russia are way more evident that than either country would like to admit in terms of the size of the place and how mm. ungovernable and unmanageable <laughs> it is because they're so big it's like just because you live in one area of the country doesn't mean you can have anything in common with someone who lives in the other end and it's like that's why these two countries have the you know insane politics that they do mm. it's because it's just like how can you govern a, a space of land that big right you know right but we won't go I there. I say we split it up <laughs> into a bunch of different countries, and then California will take them all over. <laughs> Reunite them. Yeah, that's it, right? Under my guidance and vision. Well, yeah. I mean, to be in a band like the Foos, you must have been taken into so many amazing, surreal spaces, political spaces, um, yeah. all kinds of, I mean, beyond music events that yeah, are just like, sure. you know, bigger than, than you can even imagine. Yeah, it's what been, a trip. been nuts, you know, you go play at like, you know, uh, presidential campaign rallies and so the 4th of July party at the White House, stuff like that. Yeah, it's like you pinch yourself. It's surreal. Is it hard to stay, like, not humble, because you seem like an extremely humble dude, but like grounded in reality sometimes? 
like do you have something that keeps you in check where you just have to be like yeah when, when i go home <laughs> yeah. you know yeah my wife yeah, and right. kids you know that's the great uh you know the great humbler um which is good you know i love that about my life you know i get to go do all this crazy shit and then i go home and i'm just fucking dad you know taking out the trash and driving my kids to school it's like i wouldn't have it any other way one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes nice dress uh it's a it's a t-shirt until you tried it on same goes for your health care that's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. How was COVID for you? You were saying last night that like, you know, for the first time ever, and I, a lot of musicians said this to me, they actually got to spend quality time, you know, for all the horrible stuff that, that yeah. obviously occurred. Sure. You're grateful for that time off the road when you've been doing it your whole life to actually just stop for a minute and, yeah. and be a dad and a, a husband, a partner. and Absolutely. And it was, you know, it was such a, um, the age that my kids were at, you know, in 2020 and 2021 um, was a really special time to, to be able to have that moment, you know, and knowing, and I don't want to diminish any of the suffering or that, you know, that anybody else went through because I know it's obviously a, a tough thing. But in my own experience, you know, to have that time at home, um, especially once you sort of got over the initial shock of like, what the fuck is happening? Are there going to be food shortages? And, and that that sort of panicky moment at the beginning um, was 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 a really beautiful thing. I mean, my my oldest son's in college now. Um, he's in his first year of college. So like he doesn't even live at home anymore, you know, so that was like got to have this special magic time, you know, at home with with my guys and. You know, in while they're all teenage boys, you know, it's good, good time to be around for it. Yeah, man. And and family is just, as you say, it's so important and, and to have those moments. I get more appreciative of my parents the older I get. Oh, and I'm yeah. so grateful that they're still here. Yeah, it's, it's so hard to when you realize, oh, my God, my parents were right about everything. <laughs> <laughs> everything they ever warned me about was totally right, you know. And how uh, do your kids feel about that now? Oh, currently they, they haven't come around to that right. idea yet they will <laughs> they will they will in someday. due time they'll yeah. learn oh no they, oh, i have no. teenage boys man they're like my dad's a fucking idiot he doesn't know anything <laughs> but that's the natural order of things you yeah. would expect no less how about uncle scott and uncle mike 
Do they they come around often? Do you spend time a lot as an extended family? Um, we tend to host Thanksgiving every year. That's that tends to be our big uh, uh, nice. get together. I mean, maybe when my kids were a little younger, we would we used to host like a Easter brunch thing that I think COVID might have killed off, and I don't think that that's it made its way back into the into the schedule yet um and then you know my kids are kind of past the age of like having birthday parties that we attend you know they kind of go off and, and do their don't you cramp in that style yeah but um uh yeah thanksgiving's the big one for sure is this a clash tattoo that i'm seeing it there? is a clash tattoo there we go yeah. the future's unwritten there you're yeah. right so how much of a country fan have you been throughout your life and because for me now, obviously, you know, the, the solo work you're doing and, and the show that I saw last night, it's rock and roll and there's punk rock in there. But it's obviously, you know, heavily informed and influenced by country. Sure. How far back does that musical style go in your life? And when does it really become like something that you want to start dabbling in and exploring more? I mean, I always liked old music. And I, I think I had, you know, when I was a teenager, I had like Patsy Cline's greatest hits and maybe like Johnny Cash's greatest hits. But um didn't definitely, you know, wasn't something that I grew up really listening to. And it wasn't until I was in no use that I really started listening to a lot of like alt country stuff that Tony turned me on to. And then that was really for me the jump off point. And then that's just sort of led to all these other, you know, country music is so vast. And who are we talking at that time, like Steve Earle and people like that or? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was the, the initial stuff that, that like pretty much from right when I joined no use that, uh, was right about that time that Sunvolt's record first came out and Wilco's record, first record came out. So it was that, and then from there you just go to yeah, like you know Steve Earle and, and everything else, and just kind of kept working my way backwards and forwards. And it's like you could just spend a lifetime, you know, listening to. There's just so much out there. Well, it's know? like rock and roll, isn't it? Yeah. You know, when you say rock, it's everything from Elvis to Metallica. You know, everything. Yeah. And country is pretty much the same, isn't it? There's 100%. a wealth. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so different and varied. And Oh, yeah. And each era is totally, you know, like has such great artists with great songs. And I've just spent I've spent time dabbling, you know, for many years now um, uh, with probably all of it. Or, you know, you could never actually listen to all of it, but a lot of it. And it's one of those things, too. Like, I remember when I first um, when I was doing like a cover band, honky tonk kind of cover band thing for a while. And um my friend Mitch that was playing with me would, you know, who's like much more rooted in country music would be like, okay, if you like that, check this out. You know, if you're into that thing, you got to listen to these songs. And then uh, my friend Marty that was playing pedal steel with me at the time, same thing. He'd be like, okay, if you, you know, you like, you know, Merle Haggard, well, you got to listen to, you know, this, this other thing. So it's like, it becomes almost like just this endless you know, once you go down that rabbit hole, then you start to kind of like you're connecting with other people that are down in the same rabbit hole, turning you on to other, other stuff. And it just goes on and on forever. It's like knowledge, isn't it? You find that the more you know, the less you know, because you keep yeah. digging and revealing more. And yeah. you're like, oh, I know so much. Oh, hang on. Yeah. And you just keep going further and further down. It's I a, love it. It's such an interesting thing as a guitar player, because I just, I love, you know, the guitar playing in country music is a big part of what what uh has drawn me to it over the years and it's as a guy coming from like loud rock music with a lot of volume and sustain and gain and and all that stuff it's it's very humbling playing trying to play uh you know a telly through a deluxe without a lot of gain on top you know is a is 
got to put you in your place as a guitar player. That's for sure. <laughs> well, three things, dude, that I want to say that I noticed from seeing you perform last night is you're an amazing songwriter, and I knew that from listening to the records and hearing yeah, them and, and was really just blown away by how much of an ear you have, not just for melody, but this style of music, you mm -hmm. know, because I think when sometimes people who have a background in rock and punk delve into something like a country it doesn't come across as authentic as you know like let's say legit country is mm. but you absolutely sound like you've been seeped in this music your whole life and it comes so naturally and from such a place of authenticity and honesty and i just really love the first two records that i've heard and oh, thank you very excited for the new one uh and then the other thing was just as a guitarist like hearing you at the forefront and hearing what you are able to do was so impressive and so awesome oh, thank you and then the third thing was just as a front man as a master of ceremonies yourself how amazingly well you just have rapport with your audience from the outset um it's a very special thing to have that is because you can have the catalog of music and even the fan base as such but i think sometimes if you're not a front man yourself i mean did you take to that easily and well because it seems no. very natural no, it's, it's, it, I mean, I appreciate you saying that. That's very nice. It's, it's, uh, no, it's, it's funny, man. Like, I think I approached fronting a band the way I approached dating when I was a kid, where I thought, <laughs> like, if I was brooding and angry looking, you know, and didn't talk to anybody, that the girls would come to me. And that right. never worked. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, you're like, okay, I better go to them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and, you know, it's, 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 you know, I've tried a lot of different things over the years, but I think the thing that, um, that I always try to remind myself is like people come to the show to have a good time, you know, and they want that personal connection, yep. you know? And when you're in these kinds of like live spaces, like where we were at last night at, at Thecla, um, it really suits that, you know, it's like, if you're not going to, like, you just want to connect with the crowd because the crowd is the energy. And that's the, the if, it's a, it's more about the crowd. You know, we can't have a good show if everybody's not having a good time. So it's this like, you know, it's this back and forth um, yep. that you're always trying or for me, you know, that's, that's sort of like, that's what I'm, I guess, trying to accomplish during the show. Cause it's like, if they're having a good time, then I'm going to play better and I'm going to sing better and my band's going to play better and we're going to play better together. And we're all just, it's this energy that kind of, don't want to get too hippy dippy about it but yeah, it really dude, is, i'm all about true, that and i know? fully believe that everything has energy people do spaces yeah. do you yeah. know and certainly live music that's all that is like for me you must have noticed this i've been in situations before where i've waited around till after the gig's finished and then you're in the room and especially if you're on the stage and there's a sound there's like a hum that is there that's obviously from you know the electricity and everything else but there's like an actual tangible energy you can feel in a room after a big event has taken place and everybody's gone like the the energy is still in that room right and it lingers and yeah. it's electric you yeah. feel it and you're yeah. like man this is like this is the essence of life and it's through music through performance you get to not only create those moments but experience them yourself as well and be on the receiving end too as you say from the crowd's energy yeah. in the same way that they get yours you know, I, I feel like with, with these shows, like, you know, of course, like a, a big part of the room are, you know, hardcore Foo Fighter fans that are curious. And I, I, my assumption is that a lot of people haven't even heard, you know, my records or whatever, that they're just curious, you know, loyal 
Foo Fighter fans. It's cool that you know that as well, and, and you're aware of that. Yeah, because you know, so I think you can struggle sometimes with like people can get hung up of like you know I'm an artist, I need to be understood in my own right, and it's like well you got to appreciate that a lot of people are going to know you because of that, and that's just the natural order of things. So be grateful that yeah. they're just there, right? Fuck yeah, yeah. stoked somebody bought it. Anybody buys a ticket, man. It's fucking hard to sell tickets. Um, but you know I also like so. My point with that is that I think sometimes when you walk out on stage, people are almost like, what's he going to do? You know? Um, and if you can break the ice and just. As you did wonderfully last night by saying, <laughs> what's up, Bristol? Thanks for coming out on a Sunday. Although you've probably been out popping ecstasy pills and listening to Ronnie size all weekend. Whole room immediately was like, we're with this guy. He gets it. It's amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's like, that's what, yeah, that's what you want, you know? You want it to have the, you want it to have that personal connection with everybody. Yeah, and I think the minute you make it, you know, not just a generic same thing in every town kind of speech. Yeah. When you make it actually about that place and those yeah. people and their lives, it doesn't take a lot. Especially yeah. if, you know, you've toured as much as you have and you have delved into these scenes and different, yeah. you know, cultural nuances that different cities offer, you know, if you acknowledge and, and kind of highlight that, then they're just gonna be so you know impressed and grateful that you've taken the time and you care that much because it's not hard is it it's just like yeah you know and it's it's on tours like this too it's like you're just flying through it you know and it's it's i always try to remind myself it's funny before we go out on stage every night me and 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 robert and fox you know the guys that i'm playing with we always like give each other a hug okay take a deep breath enjoy it we're having fun we're lucky we get to do this remember you know like be in the moment it's the hardest thing to do because these things are just designed where just everything's a fucking clusterfuck and a rush and and you just you know we got to get there by this time to load in to do the thing and all you know it's just like doing stuff like this yeah and but you know i mean this is great but like you know what i mean it's like you don't have the time to sort of stop and smell the flowers and and be in the moment and and take a little walk and see where you are you know what i mean so um you have to you have to like force it you have to force yourself to to really be in the moment you know and really kind of appreciate what you're doing sometimes do you find it a lot easier to do that being sober oh god because as fun as partying is it does put a haze on everything doesn't it and it's certainly your ability to be present to the moment i mean i (laughs) wasted so many i mean i i don't really like live with a lot of regrets or anything but i wasted my if i have any one of the big ones is is i wasted a lot of years on tour it just sleeping it off somewhere you know yeah just like i think that's gripped me more and more the older i've gotten is that feeling of wasting time i just cannot stomach wasting time well there's no such thing as downtime either right all you've got is time i think it's the henry rollins quote is there's no downtime there's no off time there's just time yeah yeah. So use it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm going to go see him next week, do his spoken word stuff. Have you ever seen that? I saw that years ago. I've only ever seen him do that once. Um, and we were in Amsterdam on tour and had a night off and went to go see him. It was so good. It's good, so yeah? So funny, yeah. Yeah, I can't wait. He's a fucking fascinating guy. Fascinating guy. I mean, do you still get out to like shows yourself as a fan of music? Do you have the time to do that? I mean, I do, I do have the time, but, um, you know, uh, I'm being honest, not much. You know, here and there, I took my son to uh, my youngest son has become totally obsessed with Jawbreaker. Wow. Which I'm honest to God had nothing to do with me. Like I did not influence that at all. He just discovered them and is totally into it. 
So they played right before I left to come over here. They played at the Forum, um, opened up for AFI, and I took him took him out to that show, and that was a lot of fun. It was cute. It was really cute to see my 15-year-old sort of react to that. You know, and a funny environment for your first Jawbreaker show to be at the Forum. <laughs> you know, it's like, a, it's, you know, you know. Well, yeah, they're like the definition of an underground band, aren't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How special, though, that you now can have those moments with your kids that's oh, awesome. it's the greatest dude my it's so cool to have my son be like hey will you figure out the guitar part for in satting around show it to me I'm like fuck yes i can <laughs> damn right i can <laughs> this is how you play it son <laughs> this is how you dad as well yeah <laughs> <laughs> so um let's end with i mean whatever you can tell about the new record i'm you know guessing that was a lot of it done or written at least during covid yeah almost um, but all the recording of it. itself was that also kind of covid era yeah. <laughs> experiences yeah sort of it was just coming out of that so in 2020 and obviously the lockdown's happening um i'm at my studio a lot just writing and just kind of tweaking on music alone um and also doing like zoom calls with songwriter friends um, one of them being jaron from cadillac 3 I've got to um, get him on the show, man. He's a oh, yeah. great dude, great band. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, wonderful human, great, great songwriter and, and performer and everything. And uh, and so through writing a couple songs with him, um, uh, at a certain point, I it, it had been like a couple of years since I'd made a solo record. So it was just like about that time. And I was like writing all these songs and stuff. And it just felt like, you know, time to jump back into that. But I uh, I didn't want to make an album. I wanted my my idea was I'm gonna go record two songs each with a bunch of different producers, you know, just go record two songs with this person, two songs with that person, nice, and just put them out almost just like tracks, yeah, and just put them out as tracks because like why bother putting out a record in this day and age, and um and so I recorded a couple songs with Vance Powell producing, and this was like in the spring of 2021 at this point. So I flew out to Nashville. Nice. And the first Another trip, place I've never been and really want to go to. Oh, it's great. Yeah. I mean, the talent pool of musicians out there is just bananas um, and songwriters and everything else. But uh, so I flew out there and the initial thing I was going to do, I was going to do two songs with Vance Powell and two songs with Jaron in the same, you know, four days or yep. whatever, which I did. And, um, and the songs that I did with Jaron were actually the the first two songs that we're putting out, oddly enough. Um, and I just loved the way, I don't know, we just hit on something that was like something, it just was just crazy hearing your songs back at you in a way that you just would never have imagined them to be. And, and uh, How so? Because the first two albums are awesome. What was different about this one? That... It just has a different, I don't know, a different, there's just a different razzle-dazzle to it. Like, I don't even know how nice. to describe yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and Jaron's just razzle dazzle them. <laughs> yeah, and you know it's it's just uh it was just it was just really fun. The vibe was great. The 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 musicians that he assembled for the session were fucking great, and um and the whole thing just kind of it just worked really well. And um and I after that weekend, I remember I called him. I go, Dude, we should just make a record, you know. And so I went back out. Um, I don't know in the middle of that summer, and we recorded half the record that week or weekend or whatever it was um and it's and right about the time i recorded the first couple that was right when sort of touring began to open up in drips and drabs and we were and then we started working you know being out on the road again so it was this trippy time where you know i had gone out there recorded a couple songs came home went out on the road playing shows doing this and that went back to nashville recorded a bunch of songs 
came home, went out on the road some more, went back to Nashville again in the early fall of 2021, I think. Recorded a few more songs and then was was touring. And I and every time I would record some songs out there, I'd take the session home and, and I'd tweak on it and I'd add some guitars and change some vocals and stuff. And Jaron would take that stuff. I'd send it back to him and he'd take it to his little, you know, lab and and tweak stuff and change stuff and so just little by little over the course of a you know that most of a year or whatever we just kind of like like whittled away at it and it was great because there was no deadline there was no i didn't have a record is that the way you work all the time when you're doing your own stuff is it just no it's done when it's done and then you shop around for a label yeah usually there's at least a self-imposed deadline you know usually you go in with all the songs you're gonna write or all the songs you're gonna record and you do it all kind of in one chunk, you yep. know, for two or three weeks or whatever. That's normally how how I've done it um, in the past, but this time was totally different. And so by the time we got to like the last session, you sort of knew what your record needed. Mm-hmm. We don't have anything that kind of fits the space. And then you're sort of look, thinking through your songs, going, well, "What, you know, what would work there?" And writing some new ones. And um, yeah, it was a it was a cool way to to work on it. And there were like months that I would just almost like forget that I even had all that stuff sitting there and then I'd come back to it. There's nothing better than that though because you get fresh eyes or ears in this case every time. Yeah. And you're like, ah, you know. So by the time we ever got into mixing it, I mean, it must have been, you know, a year or so later from the first session. Um, And so it's it's nice. It's nice to like, to really, like it sort of gave me the luxury of not having, you always kind of settle for certain things that maybe you're not a hundred percent. Well, time is a big wanted. factor in that, yeah. right? When you have constraints, as you say, it's like, yeah, we've so got to finish this. So this was nice. I guess this will do. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas in this way, it's like, now nah, I can do better. I can add more. Yeah. 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 We can change that. We can tweak that, you know, can, can you get then go too far the other way though? Because <laughs> What's the great quote where it's like a song is never finished. It's just, you finally decide to, yeah, it's near enough yeah. done to share with the world, but it's yeah, never complete. No Gallagher say something like that. Like it's it's the it's just what the song sounded like that day. Yeah, like yeah, that. yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. so when, as obviously, foos begin to ramp up again, will you just have to just fit this around that? Like, is that very much the way it goes yeah. when foos are active? Yeah, it's like yeah, yeah. it's like the bat yeah, signal yeah. goes up. Yeah, you get the cape on and you're you're off to work. Yeah, and then you know, when you have downtime, fit the side project stuff in in the margins and and yeah. That's why it's so feel. That's why it's like, it's a really special feeling to come over here this week because I haven't done a tour like this since 2019. You know, and I it, when I did that one, I, that was so so much fun that I I honestly thought, oh, I'll come back in six months or something. And you know, six months later, it's fucking COVID. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, the world well, gets whoosh. yeah. So, um, yeah, it's not something I get to do uh, all the time, uh, and so it makes you appreciate it when you do. Well, I'm really glad I caught the show, man. I genuinely mean that. I really enjoyed it. Oh, uh, awesome. I really enjoy the music, and I look forward to hearing more yeah, from the new album. Yeah. And um, yeah, I look forward to hopefully seeing the Foos at some point soon as well. Are, you, yeah. are there any UK dates announced yet? No, or it's, I don't think so. But there's, there's plenty yeah. of stuff being revealed, isn't there, at the moment Indeed. with festival appearances and yes. whatnot. So All that sort of yeah, it'll be nice to yeah. see you guys out there again. Yeah. And um, yeah, man, 
all the best with everything cool, and, and genuinely Thank real yeah, real pleasure sitting down with you talking today yeah, it was fine. and uh just on a final note the podcast that you do mm. is epic and i love it and there's there's more musicians now doing podcasts and, and not many of them are very good at it mm. i think that you know they they're not natural hosts but there's something about your way on the mic not just with the way you interview the guests but with the intros that you do you just sound very comfortable in that presenter role, and I really enjoy the show. The I Suggs one that. I listened to the other day, because oh, he he's been so a dream cool. guest of mine for forever. Yeah. yeah, you've just got loads of great, and Lucinda Williams, I love that one. Um, you've had some well, great guests, and it's a really like good, solid, interesting podcast, and I'm a big fan. Thank you. I mean, I've been doing it for so long, I think I had the luxury when I first started of like, you know, podcasting was in its uh, in its early days at that point, so no one was really a really paying attention you know so you could you know blow it a lot and mm-hmm. uh and made made every mistake you possibly could and you know erased interviews and just did everything that you know everything that could go wrong went wrong and like with me today sure. almost but i've been doing it way too long to allow that to happen well you know shit happens <laughs> i will tell you i've got a new podcast video show that i'm working on now it's a different thing and it's a guitar focused show wow and that's gonna and it's be, video as well yeah that'll be coming soonish great and yeah. i presume you've done a bunch already and haven't got... done any of them yet okay but i've been getting ready to do them <laughs> amazing what's the name of the show or do you want to keep I that i think i'm gonna call it shred with shifty brilliant yeah, yeah brilliant we'll see i love yeah. a bit of alliteration yeah yeah there yeah, you yeah. Go. yeah and so it's all going to be you and guitar other guitarists sitting yeah. down talking about the art exactly of the the amazing arts fuck guitar yeah. playing yeah fuck yeah all right dude well mm. thank you again all the best awesome man thank and you and i'll be seeing you indeed cheers chris cool brother Mom held down on a county wage, clothes on.